All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for, my goodness, we just thank you for you. We thank you for you being Christ, the foundation upon which the church is built, Lord God, and that you used apostles and prophets of that day upon which to build your church. We gather this morning as an expression of you, your presence, and who you are, Lord Jesus. As we proceed out of your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us to convict us, to challenge us, to remind us, Lord God. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice would hear your voice in some way, be it large and be it small, that you, we would hear something from you that would change us from the inside out. I thank you in the name of Jesus, everyone said, Amen. 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 Today I've entitled the message, uh, Living Stones in a Spiritual House. Uh, I, I, I subtitled it, or I could have titled it, What on Earth is the Lord Doing? What on earth is God doing? Um, and that's really what we're going to talk about today is what on earth is God doing? When Jesus was instructing uh, his disciples on how to pray, he prayed part of what he prayed during that prayer. He said he prayed for the kingdom of heaven to come to the earth. And obviously, we know that when he prayed this prayer and he was teaching the disciples how to pray, he wasn't teaching them something to recite rotely. There's content to the prayer. He wasn't just using words to teach them how to use words, but what he prayed meant something. And I have done teachings in the past where we've gone through that. Our Father. Anyway, I'm not going to do it today, but there, you can go through that prayer. But this part of the prayer to me is the axis of that particular prayer. When he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This was not only the desire of the Lord Jesus, it was the desire of the Father. That the kingdom that exists and resides in heaven would somehow find its way into the earth. I believe when Jesus prays a prayer, it gets answered. I don't believe for whatever reason there's ever, ever a delay but Jesus gets his prayer answered. Jesus defined for us what that looks like when the kingdom of God comes to the earth. And the way it looks is that God's will is being done on earth in the same manner that it is in heaven. God's will, God's purpose, God's desire, God's intention being done. Everybody say done. See, we're not talking about theories here. God's will being done in the earth in the same way, in the same manner 
that it's being done in heaven. And then I I was thinking about this. God's will isn't done on earth in a vacuum. And God's will isn't being done on earth by imaginary characters. It's you and it's me. And that the question is, who is this then that might be doing his will? Well, it can't be just anybody. It can't be just any group of people that's performing and doing God's will in the earth. And so Jesus begins to assemble what he called the church. And he said to us, I, Jesus speaking in the first person, I will build my church. So who's going to build the church? He's the head of the church. And he not only, uh, not only begun, began the church, but he's building his church. Now, our problem is in the Western church, in the Western hemisphere, our problem is we have so messed up the word church, we don't even know what church is half the time. We think church, obviously, uh, the most obvious thing, we think church is a physical building. It's a church building. I love uh, the Church of Christ. Uh, some of the older Church of Christ, especially the sign out front says, the Church of Christ meets here. The building is not the Church of Christ, but the Church of Christ meets here. Someone recently said, there's nothing special about this room. And that's true until you show up. Then there's something special about this room because you came in full of the Holy Spirit, full of Jesus Christ. You assemble together. Someone prayed in here one time that when we get together on Sunday morning, we reassemble the body of Christ. And then it's special. The church is not a physical building. The church is not uh, primarily a, a meeting. We call it that, but it's not a meeting. I mean, we meet. That's good. It's good that we meet. As a matter of fact, the scripture is pretty clear that we should. But that's not what the church is. The church is not an organization, although we have to be a 501c3 nonprofit for you to get advantages on your taxes. Please don't give the federal government any more than coming to them. Mm. And so we are an organization, but that's not the definition of church. And the worst thing is that sometimes we think of church, and we, don't, we would not overtly think this, but we think of the church as a club. We have turned church into a club. Lord, help me. I'm going to turn that timer off. Because... When we talk about getting together, when we talk about being together, when we talk about the dynamic of the church, often what we, what we conclude is, okay, we're just a bunch of people who get together, 
uh, together and have fun and enjoy one another and play games and all of that's good. I mean, if you can dance like Sean Pody did a while ago, man, let her rip. I can't. The church is a word, ecclesia, which means the called out ones. And so when Jesus prays this prayer, he begins the process of calling us out from darkness into light and putting us together as his church. Hmm. He said he would build his church. And I want to let you know that he's still in the process of building his church. He will not stop building his church until he decides, until the father decides that it's time for him to come back and gather his church. Now you can get into how he's going to gather us and where he's going to gather us and when. I don't, I don't even care about all that. The fact that he is is good enough for me. We can talk about the local church. So what God does is he takes these called out ones. And he begins to draw them together in a locale so they can be together and be the demonstration of this church. You could talk about the regional church. We've got on our bulletin that Abundant Life Church is a local expression of the body of Christ, or the church in middle Tennessee. We're just an expression of the, the larger church. You can talk about the church universal, which is around the globe, everyone breathing the breath of God and naming the name of Jesus, no matter what country they're in. They're part of God's church. Now, you can't personally relate to all of those people, but sometimes we do have contact and interaction with people around the world. You know, we've got a friend. We just looking yesterday at some coasters that Pastor Joe, I never can say his last name, from the Philippines gave us earlier this year. So we have interaction with people who may not be in your locale, and they're part of the church. His church that he's building is not made of brick and mortar. I mean, I like buildings. Well, I, actually, I don't like buildings, but they're necessary. When it, especially when it's raining and when it's cold or when it's hot. In course, anyway, we have air conditioning. But his church is made up of stones that are alive, living stones. Each living stone in God's economy has a place of infinite value to the builder. You have a place of infinite value to the builder of the church, Jesus Christ, himself being the chief cornerstone. If you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm going, to, I'm going to read, beginning at verse 11, the heart of what I want to hone in on is at the end of this. But to keep context, I want to begin in reading at verse 11. If you would stand with me while I read the, the scripture. And we're reading from the, or I'm reading from the English Standard Version. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, most of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, we're Gentiles, are Gentiles. 
Uh, one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jewish people, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Everybody say, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you were you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both, this would be Jews and Gentiles, both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and peace to those who were near. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens or but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You may be seated. Lord, help us digest your word. Colossians, Paul writes that the whole body is nourished and knit together. We're going to hear the word together a lot today. First Peter 2, 5 says, and this is where we get our title, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are living stones being built up a spiritual house. The church of Jesus Christ is a spiritual house. And you and I are the, are the stones, the, the building blocks that he's using to build his church. So we want to talk just for a few minutes about being built together. He talks to the Gentiles about they were once separated. Now, for the sake of the conversation, we will say that those who were separated from Christ are those who were outside the covenant of Christ, i.e. anyone who was lost and without God or without God and without hope in this world. All of us, before we came to Christ, before we were born again by the Spirit of God from above, we were a, we were, uh, spiritually speaking, a Gentile, even though we're naturally still. But one day, if you know Christ today, and better yet, if he knows you, you were converted into the promise of Abraham, into the covenant promise, the commonwealth of Israel. And God began to use you and to build the church using you as the living stones to create this thing. We were separated from God. We were separated from Christ. We were separated from hope. 
and everything that entails. But by the conviction and the power and the sovereignty of God, we were brought near. In this passage, he says he preached to those who were far off, the Gentiles. He preached to those who were near, the Jews. The message is the same. The response is the same. We were brought near. And he said he reconciled both of these parties to make one new man. And that's why he can write in Galatians, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither Jew nor Gentile. But now, now, everybody say now. We are fellow citizens, members of God's household, members of this spiritual house. Not only are we members of this spiritual house, we are the stones that he's using and has used to build this spiritual house. And then he starts getting, he starts meddling. He gets a little more personal that we're being joined or fitted together. This is kind of where I want to head. That we are being joined and fitted together. And really the word they're joined just means to fit together. Church is more than attending a meeting. If all you do is attend a meeting, you're missing out on a lot of what God has for you. Church is more than just joining an organization and getting your name on a roll somewhere. But it's being joined and fitted together with the other living stones. Fitted. Not that you pitch a fit, although that leads to that sometimes. But fitted together. And here's a key. He said, in him, in Christ, this is key, or, or either all you got is a club. In him, you're being built together. In him, you are being fitted together. In him, you are being joined together. In God's economy, in God's sovereignty, in God's wisdom, we were designed to do life with other covenant Believers, we were designed, we were made to need other covenant born-again believers in Jesus Christ. Now, let me maybe just stick this in here. When we start talking about this, immediately we start thinking about that we need 30 or 40 people that we, you know, we're intimately close to and and being joined together. And I'm just going to tell you that if God gives you one or two people in your life uh, beyond your your spouse, and of course it should include your spouse, so that you're intimately related to, intimately joined to, that you can tell them anything and they'll still love you, then you need to consider yourself wealthy. Amen. Don't look for 20 or 30 people uh, that God would do this in your life. And yet, if you're a part of the church, you're joined to all of the church. That believer over there in China, that's your brother, your sister in Christ. Doesn't change a bit. You may not have the opportunity to walk out life with them, but they're your brother and your sister. But God puts people in your life. He gives you the opportunity to do life. 
And then he says, this, this spiritual house becomes a dwelling place for God by or in the Holy Spirit. And we'll cover that a little more later on. Here's the fun part. Being fitly joined together involves a process, a process many of us do not like. You ever heard the scripture that says iron sharpens iron? You ever seen iron sharpening iron? It's noisy for one thing. And when you start getting the rough edges off and the corners and every, the burrs that stick out of the saddle, sparks will fly is a good point. That's a process. The reason for the covenant, the reason that we live in a covenant, the reason why God made covenant with us and we made covenant with him, and he said, by the way, when you made covenant with me, you got my kids in the package. And you said, God, I like you, but I don't care for your kids. And God said, it's a package deal. You can't have one without the other. John writes in his first letter, how in the world can you say you love God and hate your brother? The truth is not in you because you got to have both. The reason for the covenant is so that we'll hold still. I remember when I was a little boy, my mama would get out to whatever. And she'd start working on my, yep. And I would run, not run away. Well, I did one time, and like Joe Piscopo in that movie, he said, my daddy hit me once. Once. I ran from my mother once. Once. But I'd run around in circles. And she'd say, what would she say? Hold still. I don't know why I would. And God puts you in covenant with his kids so that you'll hold still. God can only do his work in us if we humble ourselves and hold still. And sometimes me and Jesus, all respect to Tom T. Hall, sometimes me and Jesus doesn't cut it. Me and Jesus and his kids. Me and Jesus and whoever he's put in my life that I'm in covenant with. I'm not going to turn, but First Peter, First Peter 2 says that we are a chosen race of people. Now you, you can believe that God has chosen you because he's, he, he preordained that and he foreordained that, that he, a certain group of people, and then you may believe in limited atonement. That's fine if you want to. I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't have, I don't like that theology, but at the end of the day, uh, whether you believe that or you believe God chose you when it, when it was time to choose you, I'll tell you this much. God chose you. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And when you came to Christ, you didn't come to Christ when you got ready. You came to Christ when Jesus was ready. By the conviction and the power of his Holy Spirit, however you got to Christ, you were chosen by him. And whatever you think your theology is, it doesn't matter to me, except this. You're a chosen race of people. You didn't just walk into the body of Christ one day and say, how did I get here? What are all these weird-looking people around here? 
It was intentional by the power of the Holy Spirit that he would drink, bring you into this body, that he would draw you by the Holy Spirit, and then he would give you the grace to respond to him. By grace you've been saved. Not only are we a chosen race of people, we're a royal priesthood. Royal, kingly. We're a priesthood for the king. We offer spiritual sacrifices. We're part, we make up a spiritual house and we offer spiritual sacrifices. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It doesn't have to be singing always, but the issue is that we give thanks to God. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to God. That's the sacrifice of praise. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. I want to tell you, gratitude will get you a long way down the road. Gratitude will get you, take care of your attitude. So you need to have, brace yourselves, an attitude of gratitude. And Jeremiah called them thank offerings. They bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. And so, as God's people, this is what we, how we function as the royal priesthood. We're offering thank offerings to God. Remember Psalm 22? He said, He inhabits the praises of His people. Some versions, most versions there say, He, what well, He is enthroned on the praises of His people. So this spiritual house, this spiritual dwelling, that God has made for himself to dwell in. He dwells on our, in our praises. He dwells in our gratitude. So being built together to show forth or proclaim his excellencies is our mission. Being built together to proclaim who he is, not just by what we say, although that's obviously the most important part, but what we do too often we think we proclaim Christ by what we don't do. Remember Colossians? You so worried about rules and regulations, do not handle, do not touch. Old Bob Harrington, the chaplain of Bourbon Street, used to say, you know, do not drink, do not chew, and do not run with those who do. It's not the do nots. Is what are you doing to show forth his virtuous course of thought, his feeling, his moral excellence, that we demonstrate who Christ is in the earth as the collective of saints that God is building together. Functioning together. Turn over just a couple of pages to Ephesians 4. Or in your screen, just do this, and you'll get there. Four eleven, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So God gives this what we call, we like, some people like to call it the five-fold ministry. I call it the leadership gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. To equip the saints. As we've said in the past, it's not so that those, those leadership gifts do all the work, but they equip us to do the work. They equip us for the work of the ministry. The majority of the ministry being done in the earth today, the majority of the ministry being done is not being done by clergy, not being done by pastors and evangelists. The majority of the work is being done by those who have been equipped by those ministries to be equipped. So that's one of the goals that God's looking for in his church to be equipped to make something or someone completely adequate or sufficient for the task. He said to be built up, to be edified, to be strengthened is another goal. Another one is to, to walk in the unity of the faith. Unity of the faith. We'll come back to that in a moment. Such a key. He said another one is to have the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, this isn't just informational. This isn't just an awareness. This is a knowledge that ex is experiential. Uh, I, I've gotten epinosis is the Greek word. That doesn't matter. But it refers to exact, complete, thorough Accurate experiential knowledge, not just abstract intellectual head knowledge of God or even facts about him. If you have epinosis of Jesus Christ, then you have experienced Jesus Christ. You didn't just read a book. You didn't read a, and you didn't just find out as that's worded. You didn't just find out facts about Jesus Christ. You know him and he knows you. That's what this kind of knowledge is. And for the purpose of maturity, by the way, that's contrasted in just a little bit with no longer children tossed here and there. Verse 14 talks about stability. Verse 15 talks about integrity. These are the things that God is after as he's building us up. I'm getting to something, so hang on. All of this results in the growth of the body of Christ as we're equipped in this manner. And we grow up into him who is the head, Christ. Him. We're not a club. We're, we're part of a church. We're part of a spiritual house that he's the head of. I know I'm raising my voice a little bit, but I got a license. From Christ, it says from whom? From Christ, the whole body is fitted and knit together. This is where I want to hone in on. The whole body is fitted and knit together. In other words, people say, 
I think I need to go to another church or, or we have a first time visitor and they say, well, I'm just, I'm just really trying to, you know, visit different places and see, you know, see which one fits me. And I always tell them the same thing. Some of you, I probably told you this. What I want for you is to be where God wants you. Somebody says, well, I feel like God wants me to uh, go to another church on the other side of town. You'll never get me trying to talk you out of it. Now, I don't want to see anybody leave. My heart wants to say, please don't go. But my other heart says, I want you to be where God wants you to be. I want you to be, the Bible says he plants, he, he arranges the members as it pleases him. God has never asked me for my opinion about who ought to belong to Abundant Life Church. He's never asked for my vote. And he never will. Fitted and knit together. And one of the keys of that passage is that we are held together by what every joint supplies, every relationship, every fitting. Again, even the small group people we got here today, you can't have that kind of relationship with every person in this room. But you can with two or three or one. Held together by what every knitting together supplies. He says in, in the working properly, and really in the Greek text right there, it's, it's really an energetic work. Some Bibles there say effective working. And the word there is energy, which we get our word energy from. And where'd that energy come from? Well, that's because of the hard work we did. No, it's not. It's because of the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Where does the energy come from? I mean, I drank a spark this morning. It doesn't come from spark. I can tell you. I can drink a spark and lay down and go to sleep. And I also had a cup of coffee this morning. I don't know what it takes. Energetic working together each and it says that this works, here's the key phrase, this works as each member does its part. We all contribute to the life. We all take part in the life with one another. We do our part. And that doesn't mean just do our part in the sense of we have a task and let's do the task, but if we do our part in the relationships. I want to let you know something this morning. There are some things God has designed it this way, so take it up with him. Not all things, maybe not even most things, but there are some things we must receive from fellow followers of God. God has deposited what we need in them. Not all things, maybe not most things, but there are some things you will not get directly from God because he has planted that something in somebody else, in the body of Christ, in such a proximity that you have the wherewithal through fellowship and, and talking and praying. You have the wherewithal to draw that deposit out. You have the wherewithal to hear a word from someone else who's full of the Holy Spirit to say to you something that God wants you to hear, but he's not going to tell you. 
Somebody said, boy, I sure don't like that. I didn't make it up that way. He said the body grows as each part does its, each member does its part. Body grows because of the joints. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of love. Maintain unity was a key. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren and sistren to dwell together in unity. I want to tell you unity is not just the agreement on doctrine. I just mentioned earlier Church of Christ. I have some great brothers that are Church of Christ. We would we would have great differences theologically speaking about certain matters, but they're my brothers in Christ. That doesn't change a thing. I fellowship with them. We were in a prayer meeting one time uh, uh, up in White House, and the, the guy leading the prayer meeting said, uh, five or six of y'all gather up in a circle and begin to pray for one another. And so we gathered up, and I looked around the circle, and I thought, well, there's a Pentecostal pastor. There's a charismatic pastor. Uh, there's whatever I am. Ricky was in that circle. Ricky was standing here. And the Church of Christ guy from Franklin. And we started praying for one another. And guess who pulled a bottle of oil out of their pocket and began to go around and anoint every one of us? It wasn't us Pentecostals and Charismatics. It was the Church of Christ guy. So unity is not agreeing on doctrine. It's not always having the same perspective. It's not talking the same language. It's not belonging to the same group. Unity in the faith. Peter describes unity. Here it is. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You be a blessing so that you may inherit a blessing. Y'all know that I believe the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And that's why I like to give you these verses. And this one says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. Do you understand you can disagree without being divided? Well, if you don't understand that, you're missing out because uh, I hate to break the news to you, but we're human beings. He said that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. Everybody say together. together. In the same mind and same judgment. Here's why he wrote that. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now, that's the only church I've ever read about that had contentious issues. And I got some oceanfront property on Priest Lake for you. When you put people together, you have issues. When I'm counseling for pre-marriage counseling or young people wanting to get married, 
Now, the first thing I want to know is part of the questions that I ask during the pre, pre-counseling marriage inventory that we do, part of the questions is, well, how do they respond to arguments? I don't ask them if they've, if they've ever had an argument. Now, if they tell me we've never had an argument, I say, well, you, you need to go back and start over then. <laughs> Somebody's not dealing in reality. But how do you, how do you deal with the argument? Paul wrote to another place, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, being of being together. The unity of our faith is not based on our doctrine. It's based on our Lord. It's based on our being joined to the head of this spiritual house. That's where the unity comes. Now, I've got a lot more. Go ahead and take an exhale because I'm going to finish it next week. The mind can only retain what the seat can endure. But I want us to be thinking about the words together. Thinking about the words living stones. Now I'm going to have you, I'm going to make some English teacher aggravated right here. But I want you to say with me, I'm our one. You know, I've seen that cartoon yesterday. I couldn't spell graduate. Today I are one. Together, living stones. Spiritual house built together. You are being built together. And some of you are more together than others. And some of us have a lot of togethering yet to do. Next Sunday, we will talk about how we relate to one another and how this works out in our lives. And uh, just see how that where that goes. Are you okay with that? Stand with me.